All right, ladies and gentlemen, tonight we bring on a very special guest. It's ESPN's Bill Barnwell, a man sick enough to come up with 31 different trades for the NFL draft. We're going to talk to him about B. John Robinson, about all the things we might see a week from tomorrow night in the NFL draft. It's me. It's Ben Gratch. It's Bill Barnwell. It's ship chasing. Let's do this. Pat Fryer Helmo. <laughs> This is why I'm hot. Anita hand, hand job. Fix your sight. Jamar. Alpha play chase. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Canary's Tony? You can't handle the heat. See, it looks like we're finally at this point. You're right. <laughs> I don't think I've ever tried harder to book a guest for ship chasing than I have Bill Barnwell. <laughs> I have slid into this guy's DMs once a month for what feels like 10 years, Bill. Thank you for finally capitulating. It's an honor to join uh, Crack Rock and uh, <laughs> running running Mike Leone. I, I hope to stay still and not consume anything that would get me fired from ESPN during the course of this videotaping, but I'm happy to be here. Yeah, and for people wondering, I know uh, Gretch was out uh, last week, was feeling a little under the weather. Uh, Karain, um is a multimillionaire who's headed to Paris uh, right yeah. now. So if you're wondering where he is, he tells us that's to get out of play, and we're like, "Hey, where are you going?" He's like, "Oh, you know, going to Paris, Britches." Go last minute, you know, it's, it's it's birthday coming up. It's like kind of for my birthday, kind of because we just wanted to get away. And I'm like, dude. Like multimillionaire, you're going to Paris for date night already. Like, come on, yeah. man. Like it's incredible. Oh, it's oh, incredible. Man. But hey, there's so a few good. men of the people around here still. A few men of the people mm. who are willing to roll up their sleeves. Gretch is willing to write. Bill Barnwell's out here cranking out columns. I'm out here mm. doing my own fucking mulch. All right. This is what happens <laughs> when you don't win best ball mania three. You gotta get on, back to work. <laughs> on on demand mulcher. Peter overset. Incredible, incredible spot call uh, last week. I saw. Yeah, uh, I am. I have decided this mulch saga has. For those of you who are in the ship chasing Discord, I uh, shared a few different, uh, uh, you know, twists and turns to this saga. I have decided I am going to write about this for the PO Box newsletter that's going to drop Friday. So I will let everyone in on how much I fucking hate mulch right now and how I let an EV calc forced me into doing this mulch myself. But that is a tale for another day. Bill, I mean, we're a week away from the NFL draft. You're out here doing like multiverse, multi-trade stuff. Like just just to set the table, like where are you at right now with this NFL draft? Are you just like completely dialed into all of this stuff? I would love to say that I am really dialed in, but I felt like that mock draft column I put up today, I wrote that. Over the past week, I kind of finished up on Monday. And by the time we published it, I was going through it and being like, this is kind of already out of date. Like like the the sort of info we have already feels like, you know, I was maybe a little optimistic about the number of quarterbacks going in the top five. And it, it sort of feels like because there's no strong consensus about this draft, it feels like it's just ripe for chaos, which could be really interesting when we actually get to next Thursday. Gretch, I know you're catching up a little bit on this draft class. Like the one thing I'm trying to figure out, because in my heart of hearts, I'm like, this is a shitty draft class, man. We can talk <laughs> ourselves into being excited about it because we're going to get excited about anything, right? The moves, the trades. And I think we will get some fun chaos. But at the end of the day, this ain't that great of a draft class. It's not, but I, I, I'm a 
little bit excited for some of the so-so profiles for fantasy. Um, mm-hmm. I, our buddy Jacob Sanderson, who Bill you mentioned in one of your recent mm-hmm. pods, but he he made a comment about how he's uh, I saw on Twitter the other day about how he's more excited than ever to draft round three and round four rookie picks, and I feel that way too. I, that that like resonated with me. Like there's a lot of running backs that I'm vaguely interested in they kind of have profiles that i think they lean in the right spot they could do well like the way that like isaiah pacheco and damian pierce excelled last year Mm -hmm. you know not necessarily elite prospects but they landed in the right spot they got the right you know opportunity and they're good enough that they they did well um yeah i don't i we kind of define rookies by the wide receiver class and this i don't think this wide receiver class is that exciting so that's sort of you know it's it's not a piss boy rookie draft that's for sure It's it's weird, right? Like it feels like because this is a class where we've heard for so many months now, oh, this is going to be a great tight end class. You know, it feels like that is the the sort of window we're we're having here, where there are going to be tight ends who go earlier than maybe expected in dynasty drafts. But I, I don't remember who the exact players were, but I actually tweeted about this a couple of weeks ago. I think if you look at the last time there were five tight ends who went in the first two rounds, the best guy of the bunch ended up being. David Njoku or Evan Ingram like yeah. doesn't mean that you're it's gonna be the case again this time but you know even if you have a class that looks exciting on paper it could turn out to be disastrous so I'm always a fan of chaos in the draft my, my default my prior is always nobody knows anything and we're just getting back to you know uh, uh the, the less you know the, the better decisions you can make so maybe that's a class where that could this is a class where that could come into be advantageous but that's why this article that Pete mentioned was so fun. And this is the way, like, all your articles – I mean, not all of your articles, but a lot of your content. <laughs> wow. I, Some I of them suck, it. to be clear here. <laughs> I love – so you set the parameters. It's a mock draft. It's the trade mock draft. I've done this before, obviously, mm-hmm. in prior years. You have to do a trade for every pick, every team, a hypothetical trade. And, you know, like, your first thought, if you're listening to this, might be, well, most of these trades aren't going to happen. Why would I read about a bunch of trades that aren't going to happen? But if you actually read through it, what you find out is everything about the class. Like, it's the most informative mock draft I've read. You talk through where teams might be, like, the the fact, the the whole process of you thinking about how teams might move around, what they might try to do, where they might try to target certain positions, who's needy, why they might be moving to come get a tackle, to come get an edge rusher, to you learn about the entire first class, the entire, like, and I'm not doing a ton of research into the offensive tackles of this class right now. Like that's not what I'm doing. So I learned a ton reading through it. And then you have like so many fun trades where you had like Trey Lance moving and you had like Aaron Donald moving. And I was just like, I mean, these, we get blindsided on draft night. Why not try to think through what might actually happen? You're readily admitting in the article, like these are kind of crazy, but like, they're crazy in a fun way. You're thinking through like, yes. well, crazy things happen on draft night. We're all mind blown. Like, let's think about them a little bit. I, I don't. I, I I read that. Oh man, I read that for so long. It was it was a fantastic article. Can we? This is a safe space to talk about Trey Lance, right? Yes. I want to know what you're thinking. I'm, I'm 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 preemptively getting triggered, but yes, it is. <laughs> okay. By the way, is there anybody who has come out? And and said they didn't they were not overweight on Trey Lance last year, like like you know how liars liars yeah you know yeah. you know how like like when a, when a big event will happen like you know a famous game or you, you'll hear afterwards oh I was there I was there and eventually like you know there's more people saying they were there than could possibly have been in the stadium <laughs> when it happened that that's what 2022 Trey Lance feels like it feels like we're gonna look back and somehow four people took Trey Lance in every single BBM draft like like there's just <laughs> 
it, it, it's it's incredible because I I know I was he was I think my highest exposure in Best Ball Mania last year. I mean, it feels like every single person feels that way. But anyway, I I I, I tweeted about a I, I I sort of put the screen cap of the Trey Lance trade in my tweet announcing this article this week, and I, the feedback I got was number one. You know it's a good trade when you see t- fans of every team saying, why would we do this? It's a bad trade. When everyone says it's a bad trade, it's usually a good trade. But there was that that element of people saying, oh, why would the Vikings want Trey Lance? He sucks. And how, how did we get here? Like, like how do we yeah. have this such a strong prior on Trey Lance now where the default is, oh, he's actually bad. Like, I could see oh, he's been disappointing, or oh, it's been frustrating, or oh, we don't know a lot. But to have the prior actually be he sucks at football is kind of crazy to me. He hasn't played. I mean, we haven't seen anything from him. And he obviously has a skill set that fits the modern NFL, more mobile quarterbacks, the way the teams are attacking cover two. I mean, I want to see him play. I mean, I was talking with with Sean Siegel on on Stealing Bananas earlier today um, about this a little bit, and he made – kind of a depressing point, which is there's a possibility if he gets dealt, we don't ever actually see Trey Lance play a lot. Like hmm. if that is, I mean, there's, that's a, a one route right now. And I just want to see him play, man. I just want to see him start half a season. And like, mm-hmm. oh, I think I'll get enough of a vibe of whether or not I was right that he could play or not, you know, but like, I don't think we know at all right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, Bill, you're making me relapse here, man, because ever, <laughs> like, I feel like I'm going down with the ship and I keep losing people that I really respect as like sharp fantasy players who are like, you can't keep Martin Galing, Trey Lance. And then I hear you talking, I'm like, I'm going to fucking Martin Gale the shit out of Trey Lance. <laughs> but no, the, the, I've been wanting to do that too, Pete, but the Bills trade for, for Lance to, to go to the Vikings was one that actually, made me think like oh that's the outcome that type of a deal makes sense and that's the outcome where we'll be unhappy about our <laughs> Trey Lance pre-draft exposure if uh if he gets traded somewhere where he backs up for a year and you know because mm-hmm. Cousins would still start but then he's a free agent as you wrote about in your piece presumably yeah I like I like the face you're making maybe Lance beats out Cousins what but Bill, like, what not, is your... not, sorry. oh go ahead go ahead no, I was going to say, like, what is your – because we've all been trying to read between the lines of the 49ers, and there's been a lot of rhetoric out there of, like, oh, Brock sure. Purdy's our guy when he's healthy. And then we've also been now trying to become amateur doctors being like, is Brock Purdy going to be ready for week one? If he's not ready for week one, are they so out on Trey Lance that fucking Sam Darnold would start? Like, where are you at on, like, this whole kind of kerfuffle with the, the Niners quarterback? I mean, I, I trust Stefania Bell, who writes for us at ESPN, who does excellent work for us at ESPN. And, you know, her read of the situation, based on actually being an expert as opposed to me, uh, an idiot, is that that Brock Purdy is on track to be ready for week one. And that's, I mean, great for Brock Purdy. I think that's what the Niners want. At the end of the day, I think they're more confident in Brock Purdy as their starter, given the limited sample of what we saw from them last year. I... Like, like I, I really tend to believe actions over words. And yeah. we've seen Kyle Shanahan say just about anything he wants about players in the years past. And it means nothing a month later or two months later. Like if Trey Lance goes to camp and he looks great, I think Kyle Shanahan's going to say awesome things about Trey Lance if he's there in yeah. San Francisco. But like, like the objective evidence we have is they traded three first round picks to get him, which tells us at some point they thought he was going to be 
Patrick Mahomes 2.0, which I think is why they went up and got him, even though there's all this stuff about where they were going to get Mac Jones. Well, they didn't take Mac Jones. They took Trey Lance, which tells us they thought he was going to be a superstar. They were moving on from Jimmy Garoppolo last year, which was not insignificant. Like Garoppolo was hurt, but it wasn't like they were they were veering from that path last year. With a limited sample from Trey Lance, they were ready to move on. I, I think they've soured on Lance, maybe not to the extent that they're just going to put anybody in a quarterback ahead of him. But I do believe that they are so high on Brock Purdy that they're putting him in that role. They're not going to have it be a competition. I think Brock Purdy is going to be the guy there until proven otherwise. Now, the, the example I'm thinking of, which is is maybe unfair, is the Leonard Fournette example from a couple of years ago where people mm. were taking Leonard Fournette early in drafts and it was, oh, he's going to be great for the Jags. And then they got that redraw to the Bucks where it was, you know, he ended up having a role oh. on a team. Um, Trey Lance could be you that guy, but I think not relapse. I know, <laughs> and I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it even worse for you, Pete, because I'm going to talk about a scenario where I think that Vikings trade is a really good example. Let's say the Vikings trade for Trey Lance. I don't think he would be their Week One starter. I don't know that he beat out Kirk Cousins in camp, but I think every single person on the planet thinks the Vikings are going to regress next year. I think a lot of people think Kirk Cousins is not going to be their starter in 2024, and it's not impossible to imagine a scenario where the Vikings are five and eight, their season is over or or close to over. And they say, Hey, we just traded for Trey Lance. Why don't we give Trey Lance an opportunity for the final few weeks of the season? And you have this, this Trey Lance who's been buried, not, not making starts for you in best ball, just buried on depth charts and fantasy all year, who suddenly pops up for the fantasy football playoffs. And it's incredible. Low advance rate Trey Lance pitch job is the weight of my heart. My God, I know you're killing me. <laughs> Unique Trey the Lance. guy you need, Minnesota Viking Trey Lance. The stacks. He's going to be drafting the next time he gets Justin Jefferson. He's one hundred percent stacking it with Trey Lance. Do you oh think? My. Do you think outside of the injury, is there anything we could have done as a society? to not fall in love with Trey Lance last year. Is there anything we could have seen? What was, was the expected pass rate too low? Was we were projecting everyone to play so well in San Francisco? Like, like what, what could have happened to, to steer us away no, from just ask Iceberg. uncle Andy. He sucked in the preseason and he sucked in the real he game. Didn't play oh, real no. game. <laughs> I would like to posit that we weren't wrong. And if he would have stayed yeah. healthy, what Brock Purdy did down the stretch and what Jimmy Garoppolo did is just evidence that Trey Lance was going to smash all year. And mm-hmm. you know, we I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree, yeah. but I'm saying I, I want to at least see if there's another scenario. I don't recall Trey Lance sucking his first season. I thought he was fine for fantasy purposes. He was pretty good. <laughs> For fantasy purposes, he had a drink. He's getting flush. It's it's very troubling. Yeah, I I've just been told I'm an idiot over and over and over by so many people, and for you to make me feel this in my loins is just a lot for me to handle. (laughs) (laughs) We're only 15 minutes in. Phil's making us feel things in our loins. Yeah. Okay. So to get back to the trade article. Yes. So I I I think I, I think what makes it tough is that. The pick stuff is pretty straightforward. Like you can plug it into a trade value chart. You kind of get a sense of what teams are going to do. But valuing players is is a lot harder. Like I talked about Aaron Donald. And I said, okay, the, the Lions trading for Aaron Donald because the Rams are I, – I don't, I don't really know what the Rams are doing besides just right. anything that is known or notable is being thrown off into the void. 
like, is Aaron Donald worth a first round pick? Is he worth two first round picks? Is he worth three first round picks? Is he not worth a first round pick at all? I think when you come to when it comes to players, and Aaron Donald is an example, I think Trey Lance is another example. Like you have these really wide disparities in terms of what these guys are worth. And I would love to say that I have facts, but I'm really just kind of inferring based on history and, and mostly guessing. Yeah, but I mean, this fits like I hadn't thought that the Rams would trade Aaron Donald, but I've been thinking the same things that you're saying about what what are the Rams doing? Like, I, I don't really know what they're doing. Like, they could theoretically still be somewhat competitive with Stafford and Cup healthy and Aaron Donald still on their defense, but they've gotten rid of so many other pieces. Like, they're trying to undo all of the damage they did playing to win now over the last couple of years where they just traded picks away to get everybody. I mean, that's what it seems like. So obviously, mm -hmm. then, if... Aaron Donald, and as you point out, like Aaron Donald maybe wouldn't be thrilled about going there and has a no-trade clause, but if he's willing to, the, the timeline for a 30-year-old or 31-year-old Aaron Donald and the timeline for the Rams might not line up. He might actually like this deal as well, like, and this might fit what the Rams want to do. It actually makes sense. I hadn't even ever thought that they would trade Aaron Donald, but now I'm like, this is I want this to happen so bad. The Lions are fun. They're the favorites in the NFC North. If they get Aaron Donald to just disrupt in the, in the center of their defensive line, I mean, that's amazing. That sounds awesome. I want that to happen. Go are on. you guys ready for, like, week seven next year when the Lions are three and four and people are blaming them getting rid of Jamal Williams as what, what killed, oh, the, killed the America's team vibes oh. for the Detroit Lions? It's oh, going to happen. The uh, – you, you... – you get you got rid of the swag daddy and he cursed yeah. him forever. And you, wow. do you remember who they replaced him with? Uh, the uh, the opposite David of the swag Montgomery. daddy, David. Montgomery. <laughs> <laughs> the least what? is is he the least favorite player of of ship chasing? Would you say like like you know? It was Josh Jacobs, but that one's been really hard to spin zone. Um, you know, we've just had to take <laughs> yell on that one. You had to take the yell. Is right. Leone's Leone's greatest victory. God damn it, that sucks. Yeah. Um. What like what do you think about the Lions too from the quarterback position? Because I continue to hear them mocked potentially as what if they just took Anthony Richardson? What if they just YOLO it and say, like, do you think they're committed to Jared Goff and trying to build a contender like through making some of these moves? You get Hutchinson, you trade for an Aaron Donald. Like, is that their path? Do you think they're actually committed to Jared Goff as this is the guy who can take us to the Super Bowl? Here's the thing about teams. Like they they're very reactionary. Like what happened over the past year, what happened over the past six months, what happened over the second half of the season means a lot more than maybe it does outside the building in terms of, you know, just viewing things in a vacuum. And a year ago, if we were talking about Jared Goff, it kind of felt like an inevitability that he was going to move on. It kind of felt like, you know, he had nearly, he had been benched at one point, I believe during the 2021 season, if I'm not mistaken, um, had been maybe soft benched kind of felt like his future was elsewhere. And he was so good during the second half of last season that I think the Lions did buy in. I think they, Dan Campbell does not strike me as a guy who wants to take another step backwards to take a step forward. I think they're a team that really values being competitive and would really value the idea of being the sixth seed in the NFC next year, more than maybe having a championship caliber ceiling. So could they take Anthony Richardson? Like, I would never say no, but I think given how Goff played over the second half of last season and given how bad their defense was last year and how they can kind of make the case where 
All we have to do is just have Jared Goff not throw any interceptions over the second half of the season and improve our defense. We'll be a 13-win team. Like I I could see them selling themselves that story because a lot of teams do that. A lot of organizations do that in reality. They they sort of take the positives from what happened last year and say, oh, if we just fill in these two or three negatives, we'll be good. And it doesn't always work out that way. Yeah, and it probably won't for a Super Bowl ceiling, but in their defense, like they're – like since pre Brett Favre, this is the mm-hmm. first time that they've probably been favored to win their division. Like they're looking at this and going, the Packers are down, the Vikings are due to regress, the Bears are trying to get their stuff together. But like, if we just do fill in a couple of those holes, we can win the division and get a home sure. playoff game. They could get the four seed, right? And then they could do basically what uh, what Jacksonville did this year, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 win a playoff game and go and try to win the next playoff game, but probably not. <laughs> I'm just I'm just picturing the battle between the Lions and the Saints for the three and the four seed, yeah. winning these two mediocre divisions oh with nine wins. God, one of those teams is going to be the three seed in the NFC. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of, one of the teams from the, one of those two divisions. I mean, it could – Jordan Love could be great. The Packers could surprise, right? Like, I – but I mean, the, the NFC South seemed worse. <laughs> those are, those oh yeah, some bad divisions over there. No question. I mean, the Packers are their their uh, their win total seven and a half in Vegas, yeah. which seems a little crazy to me. Yeah, we like should the, talk about like the over, right? While we're talking about the Packers here, I mean, professional uh, is this Roger stuff ever going to get done, Bill? I know you were getting some pushback on on some of this the trade compensation for Rodgers but like what's going on here because this just won't ever end is this going to get done on on draft night I mean he's retweeting RFK it, everything everything's going great for Aaron Rodgers there's no <laughs> issues happening there I mean you have these two sides that are stuck in and I think I thought it was going to happen six weeks ago like I literally sat down Sunday night and wrote a column till four in the morning thinking okay I gotta have this ready because it's probably going to happen tomorrow morning and that was six weeks ago. So <laughs> I, I, the the thing that keeps, I keep coming back to is the Packers don't want to pay Aaron Rodgers $57 million. And that is a big amount of money for an NFL team. Like NFL teams overstate how much or how little they want to pay people. $57 million is a lot of money. The Packers are not budgeting to pay Aaron Rodgers $57 million this year. And they're not the richest team in football by any means on a good day. But like, if you're the Jets, your depth chart is Zach Wilson and Chris Streveler, right? Like, they don't even have Joe Flacco or Mike White anymore, if I'm not mistaken. Um, like, you can't go into the season with that as your depth chart. You can't go to your locker room and say that. And so that this, this ongoing debate about who has more leverage, who's going to give in eventually, I do think it's the Jets – but I do think from their perspective, they don't want to make a trade before the draft. They want to wait until the draft is over so they can keep that 12th pick, hopefully trade for Aaron Rodgers. And if you're giving up a one, we'll give up your 2023 one and hope that it's going to be in the 20s with Rodgers. Because just like I said about the Lions, they think, okay, we had a great defense and a abysmal offense last year. If we just get Aaron Rodgers, we're going to be great, which maybe that's true. Maybe it isn't. But it feels like they'd rather give up their 2024 one than their 2023 one. So I yeah. think if you're the Jets and you are going to give in, it probably does happen after the well, draft. But the they're, Packers, they're both going to yeah. give in, as you just laid out. Like this trade sure. has to happen. Like, it, like of course. But I think you, I think you're right, and I love you noting that the trade could happen in the draft, in the mock, and I like the way it was structured. But it, it's, I mean, 
it would be a surprise to see Rodgers move on on draft I, night, or even on day two. You know, in the second round, if the if the Packers decide when the Jets are on the clock with those second round picks, that they have they have back to back second round picks, right? That they want somebody there, and they're willing to then budge on some agreement that they weren't previously willing to budge on. Um, but even if it doesn't happen, I like the way you laid out where the Jets might be willing to just be like, fine, we'll just take all our draft picks and then we'll agree to something later, whenever, you know, you decide you're willing to do it and we'll send you 2024 picks instead. Like, why sure. you do that teams, team, teams really do value picks in the future less than they should. Like that's a, a thing we know from years and years of looking at trades. They treat future picks like they are like dynasty picks. Like they don't care, whatever it's the future. We'll figure it out between now and then. Um, I, I want to ask you guys though. I was looking at this when I was doing drafts. I have not done, I think I've done a couple of super flex, but I was doing some big board drafts when that was open. What is what was Garrett Wilson's ADP? He he was not escaping the second round in most drafts. So drafts, when you get a ship chasing draft, you're not ship chasing the first. drafts, he wasn't escaping the first round. <laughs> yeah, but yes, drafts, he was a one-two like, turn. Yeah. yeah. Well, like my question is two-part question, and you guys would know this better than I would. Is that already baking in like the scenario where Aaron Rodgers number one ends up on the Jets and number two, they have a really great connection from day one? Because like, wouldn't it be not that shocking if Aaron Rodgers got there and they had some communication issues or they had right. some trust issues or some timing issues? Like even Devontae Adams took years to be that yeah. guy. But maybe that's only a sample size of one. Maybe I'm just over extrapolating from that one sample. But it just feels like it's not. Jordy Nelson took a Jordy Nelson took a long time as well. He, he has famously last year, there was all this talk about how the rookies had to act in the meeting rooms and how they went through mm -hmm. things. And, uh, you know, there was some debate about what was actually said and done and all those, but everything we've ever heard about Rogers is that he is like sort of difficult to work with. Like he kind of expects the players around him to like read his mind. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought the same thing. It does seem to be baking it in. I think a lot of the upside with Garrett Wilson is baked in. Uh, at his current price. At the same time, I think Garrett Wilson's super good. So I like I just blow through uh, red flags on players that I like, and and so I'm just gonna keep drafting it. I I think um, you know, a good way to benchmark what is baked in is Chris Olave because I think when you mm -hmm. look at a lot of advanced metrics, they had very similar seasons from like uh, what it points to what they could do in year two. And, you know, Alave was going early third round and Zach, uh, Zach Wilson, uh, Garrett Wilson was going back into the second. So there's almost like a, maybe I would call it a four to five pick premium on like mm -hmm. Garrett Wilson playing with Aaron Rodgers, where I think even if we didn't know who the quarterback was, Garrett Wilson would still be a mid third round pick because people That's were that yeah. jazzed up about what he did. Cause he produced with Mike white. He even had a decent game with Zach Wilson. So I think we were all collectively on board with Garrett Wilson, no matter what, but just knowing that Aaron Rodgers was, let's say an 80% chance to be his quarterback was enough to put him as a back into the second round pick. Do we overvalue like that, that sort of fun pick of like, we know this thing is going to happen. And so we want to be ahead of it. Cause it kind of feels like, I, I can't think of examples as I'm, I'm saying it right now, but it feels Got like, it. That's something that doesn't count. I, I would never say Kyle Pitts was overvalued or overvalued. Like that was that uh we're we're gonna go through my number two exposure last year. Uh was Kyle Pitts. I think, <laughs> I think the, the answer to that question is I, I think that's the um man, we talk about this a lot, but like I think in fantasy, like the last year's trends sometimes get overweighted the next year. And we have good examples like Kyle Pitts of that exact thing. 
And it feels like that's got to be the conclusion we should draw. I would argue that is not the conclusion we should draw, that we, when we're making those Kyle Pitts plays or those Garrett Wilson plays, they are, yes, aggressive plays, but they're aggressive for a reason. Jamar Chase the year prior is a great example of one who people were dropping because of the preseason drops. And oh, we were God, all I remember. Like, I, I, I built I built a top five uh, BBM team that year with like fifth round Jamar Chase. It was great. Right. You have to take those swings when when I mean and and there are examples of them hitting when they hit. We're just like oh my god, this guy's amazing. We don't really think through what we thought of him prior. It's really hard to think through that people really didn't want to take Jamar Chase even into the fifth round. They thought he was going to bust. Um, and and then when they don't hit, it's it was too much excitement. As opposed to, I mean, I think this is the the not you, the collective, you know, consciousness. It was too much excitement as opposed to we made a probabilistic bet, and there was always an, a possibility this wasn't going to work out. And I've written about this before, but when it's a veteran that we make a bet on and they they fall off, we we don't make these same conclusions because we go, well, we we saw it prior, we saw it back in 2021, we saw Ezekiel Elliott used to be good, right? Like so that's why it's okay to keep drafting him. That was also a probabilistic bet that didn't work. But people are less likely to be like, oh, well, we were all just getting way too hyped on something when it's someone that we had seen produce prior as opposed to someone we were projecting production from at a level that we hadn't seen before. But even with a guy like Pitts, he had had a thousand yard season already as a 20 year old turning 21 year old rookie. I don't think we were projecting anything that couldn't have been argued as part of the probabilities. And I think even the reasons that he failed are numerous they, they go into how little atlanta threw and it, i mean it was one of the lowest pass rates or overall pass attempt numbers in in lots of seasons in decades mm -hmm. right um so anyway i i think it's easy emotionally to think that you got too excited about players like that i got too excited about trey lance that's where i like i want to get grounded and go i think trey lance would have been good this year last year and i, I like I, i've made that argument this offseason i'm going to continue to make it i have no issue with the trey lance I mean, and I've seen a lot of like, oh, we got way too excited. Trey Lance's ADP got way up there with Jalen Hurts. Look, Jalen Hurts was another player we liked. We took him on some teams. We, me and Pete had him on some of our main event teams. But he's a guy that had pros and cons. There were people that were arguing for Gardner Minshew to start, like, in the offseason last year. And not, like, serious people, but there were people that were making these points. But he was a, he was a, he's a great example of where the upside hit on the team level. It hit on everything, right? And so we got the ceiling case out of him and, and from the player level. He's great. But we didn't know he was great this time last year. We didn't know that for a certainty. We thought it. We predicted it. I don't think it was wrong to, to be thinking of Lance and, and Hurts in similar ways, especially with the way that the 49ers as a team evolved to where a quarterback could have been very successful there, especially one of the rushing upside. I mean, anyway, I just I think if you're thinking about it probabilistically, it's like, yeah, I mean, we went about that with Pitts. We are going to probably go about it this year with Garrett Wilson, but I'm willing to pay a little bit of a premium. Mm -hmm. You know, and if I have to talk myself into it's for, you know, sort of flimsy reasons, like, oh, hey, Aaron Rodgers does really lock into guys. He's done it with Devontae Adams and Jordy Nelson. Fine, maybe I'm talking myself into that. And I agree with you, it might take some time. But if it's the second half of the season, if it takes them till midseason for, you know, for him to stop throwing to Alan Lazard every play and start throwing to Garrett Wilson more, like, I still think there's this really strong possibility that Garrett Wilson has, like, a Jamar Chase-type impact in the second half of the year. So I'm willing to pay a premium to make that bet. And if I'm wrong, like, I I think it's a level-headed – I don't think it's exuberance. I think it's a level-headed bet that, I, you know, I'm willing to make. No question. I mean, that, certainly not outside of the realm of possibilities that Garrett Wilson does take that leap, even if it's not Aaron Rodgers. Like, right. 
who am I thinking? Let's say it's Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback for the Jets in 2023. Like, there's a scenario where he locks in and has 1,400 yards and 13 touchdowns. That's not crazy by any means. And you're betting on the way he played in year one. You're betting on the the, the typical growth. You're betting on your two breakouts. Like, you're making reasonable uh, assumptions. So I, I, I would not say that is unreasonable or unfair at all. I think the variance on Garrett Wilson is higher. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't take him. Of course, you should take him maybe because the variance is higher. But it just feels like a... I wonder where the 50th percentile outcome for Garrett Wilson is yeah. and if that aligns with where that ADP is. Maybe you shouldn't be picking players. You probably shouldn't be picking players, frankly, for their 50th percentile yeah. outcome if you're going to be drafting in best ball. It's probably below. You're, I think you're on to something, but I think you're also on to something by saying that, I mean, that's not how I draft. I, I think a lot yeah, of people draft that way. They think, you know, the median outcome, do I get a round or two of value here? I remember making yeah. this case with A.J. Brown going into year two. It was like, yeah, probably on a projection, he looks like a fifth-round player, but he had a fourth-round ADP. I remember I wrote about this when I was still at CBS. Huge article on AJ Brown, and it was like, yeah, most scenarios I'm probably losing a little bit here, but I think there's an outsized possibility he's a first-round return, and that's why you take him in the fourth round. And if I lose one round of value and he's a fifth-round player, I think he has a really high floor, too. And I think the same with Garrett Wilson. I think he's too talented. I think he was held back by Zach Wilson quite a bit, but they'll have better quarterback play. Even if it's Teddy Bridgewater, I think it's going to be better quarterback play than Zach Wilson, right? And so his, mm-hmm. his, if his floor is a third mid-third round pick, I mean, that's probably not his floor, but as far as like a, a healthy season goes, his production, if I feel really confident he's going to be good enough to be at least a first five-round pick at wide receiver, but I think the ceiling is potentially a top five, you know, the next Justin Jefferson, like then I'm willing to make that bet at a premium to what his median is. Mm-hmm. Just like you said. I mean, I just think that's the way you have to play. The yeah. I think I've had one thing that I've struggled with, with this dynamic of, you know, betting on talent, betting on breakouts is the market is much different than what it used to be. I mean, Bill just referenced getting Jamar Chase in the fifth, sixth round. I mean, he was, was I, I would, I, I think we all agree he's a better pros, uh, prospect than JSN and we're all excited about JSN, but we mm-hmm. were taking JSN in the early fifth. I saw him going in the late fourth. I mean, I even think back to Garrett Wilson was a 12th and 13th round pick yeah. last year. We are not going to get a prospect like Garrett Wilson ever going in the 12th round ever again on underdog. Like I feel pretty You ruined it. That's literally <laughs> your guy's fault. Like, I don't know. <laughs> so like, I, that's what I'm trying to weigh because like, even with a guy like JSN, like, and I've done the hypothetical of if I told you JSN had the exact same rookie season that Amon Ross St. Brown did, where he didn't do much the first 10 to 11 weeks and then scorched the mm-hmm. earth, the final weeks and like one people tournaments, you would still aggressively draft him. And so I'm wrestling with this idea of, man, I have sticker shock on JSN and yet he still could outperform that draft cost when it matters most. And I'm even thinking back, there was an old article on Rotoviz written by Coleman Kelly, and it was called Alshon Jeffrey, DeAndre Hopkins in Rookie Derangement Syndrome. And it was people chasing DeAndre Hopkins early. It was like a fifth or sixth round pick, and people were not baking in Alshon Jeffrey as a second uh, year breakout. But now like Mm -hmm. almost all of that feels so efficient in the market. And so I'm wondering, do we still try to get out ahead of that? Do we draft Garrett Wilson at pick 16? Cause the upside is still there for him to finish as a top six wide receiver or do we have to figure out a different way to address this? I mean, it's a good question. <laughs> it's, it's, a, I feel like that's sort of what I was just trying to, to hit on though. Like I, I think I, it, it, it's hard, but I think the market has gotten more efficient at like a, a short way of saying what I was just saying is I think a lot of what ultimately matters is like the, the top 5% of outcomes. 
and like the rest of that distribution, whether the 50th percentile is a huge break even, the rest of the the the, the, the outcomes matter. But fantasy is won by league winners. I don't know necessarily that best ball is you know demanded to be won by league winners. So maybe this isn't maybe this is more of a seasonal point than a than a strictly underdog point. But those those elite breakout superstars matter so much and chasing that profile i mean again i go back to the train lance jalen hurts thing jalen hurts was a massive win rate player last year and they were the same bucket for me like i was i felt like they were very similar plays and a lot of people don't but i thought they were i had i had a lot of jalen hurts too um but i think you're you're talking about like one percent like top one percent outcome or top five percent outcomes whatever and you know is it a 1% chance that this guy has that type of ceiling. It is a 2% chance. Is it a 3% chance? And I mean, like trying to figure that out and quantify it, the, the probability range of the really elite, like who has the really elite ceilings. And a lot of people talked about this. We don't really know ceiling well in fantasy. I think those are fair points, but trying to quantify that stuff is a valuable exercise and it's worth doing. And a lot of times it's not even easy to quantify it's sort of like you know when you see it there are so many layers of things that we can put into it but second year receivers is something we have seen and massive breakouts right and the types of stats that garrett wilson had both in his prospect profile and in year one were good enough to hit benchmarks that like he looks like a second year breakout so does chris Olave for that matter but mm-hmm. um those are the types of bets that tend to be these superstars i think the market is baking in when it goes wilson ahead of Olave, it's baking in more enthusiasm for that top five percentile outcome where like because he could you know pair with aaron Rodgers, he could just be the superstar and maybe Olave just doesn't have the circumstances with Derek car to quite be that level that's what the market's telling us and i think you're right the market has gotten way more efficient at that the question of like whether we should pivot off of that is tough because i still think that's so important and i tend to agree with the market on the on the garrett wilson one so like i don't want to pivot off it there but i could see in other situations you know making that case yeah. And I mean, I think this is still a very young medium, you know, best ball. We don't have a lot of data. We don't have a lot of experience. We, and the fact that we've seen, you know, the fact that you just look at the, the color, of course, of the, you know, of the top 12 picks when you load up a draft, you look at the what the ADP is going to be for the top 12, 15 picks. And it shifted so dramatically over the course of three years, four years, five years, when you guys have been playing this much longer than I have. Like, I, I think that that tells you things have changed does it has to change to the point where you are no longer gaining an advantage by going after that upside because it's, it's already baked into such an extent that the chances of hitting that one two three percent piece are not worth it I, I don't think we're at that point but i sort of wonder if we continue to draft this way for another year and next year is more wide receiver having in the top mm-hmm. 10 or the top 15 like like there's going to be an inflection point where things have to change i just don't know if we're at that point yet yeah, I think so. Really, sorry, the one thing I'd say is there, there's not really like you wouldn't flip it, right? It's not like oh well, running backs with legendary upside are being drafted late. Like there just aren't that many running backs with legendary upside. Period. So like the fact that you're taking bets on a player like Garrett Wilson in the third round, like there, there's it doesn't mean that you should be drafting running backs there just because running backs have a, a higher right. floor because it didn't change the backs, profile yeah right like like a running back like zeke last year even if he was going in the fourth or fifth round did not have the same upside as you know a a a, a young wide receiver in that same area 
Yeah. This is this conversation is getting my wheels going so much. The way that I and I, I'm sorry first, to continue just first, going. First down. I got Pete. First I got Pete hot, and yeah. now I've got Ben hot. This is great. You did. You got me so hot. Uh, it, like I don't want to go way way semantical, but I think as this whole probabilistic point, I've already kind of gone semantical enough. The point I just made about AJ Brown going into year two when he was a round four guy, and I wrote about mm-hmm. that I thought his 50th percentile outcome was probably a round five outcome, but I was yep. really chasing those first round you know, outcomes where he could be just an elite top 10 wide receiver, what have you. And he, he basically was when healthy that year. And it was an awesome hit. I was you know, obviously excited to have him in a lot of places. A lot of people know me for my AJ Brown look. Mm-hmm. That was a bet that really made a lot of sense because even if he hit his 50th percentile or some of those less elite outcomes, it was only a loss of round four capital for round five outcome. Well, I, mm-hmm. I feel like what we're talking about now is to make those bets, you now have to pay round three or round two. They can still, what I'm saying is they still pay off if you hit round one and they're still ceiling profiles worth going, but they're also, they're also tougher bets to make where if they do then return that round five or even lower, in some cases, these guys don't even hit, um, you're, you're missing more to pay a late second round price on Garrett Wilson. If he is his 50th percentile and he is like a round five receiver, that's a, that's a more painful hit that obviously than when you were doing it with AJ Brown in the fourth. So I get that, but I guess. The question comes down to uh, how you're making those picks, how you're structuring it in in a build where, I mean, you can't just take all upside every pick as much as I'd love to do that and try to do that. Uh, but you do still need players that can be the breakout stars. You can't just go mm-hmm. for the small wins like you were saying. Go for the running backs because, oh, yeah, they have higher floor. We, mm-hmm. we know that's that you don't win doing that. But yeah, so Dave here in the chat says small miss, big win. We talk about that a lot with stealing bananas. Mm-hmm. It used to be with AJ Brown, small miss, big win. Maybe what we're saying is when you have to take Garrett Wilson in the second round, it's not such a small miss anymore. If you do miss, it's a little bit of a bigger miss. I still think it's a big win because if you hit ceiling, it's basically okay at any price. It's okay in the top mm-hmm. five. If you hit an elite player, you, you know, elite players are, are, are difference makers in fantasy regardless. Um but yeah, maybe the, Actually, maybe the small side of it becomes a bigger miss. I, I was thinking about this. Maybe this is a dumb question. Maybe it's an obvious yes. Maybe it's an obvious no. I was thinking about Travis Kelsey last year because Travis Kelsey is going what? Like like eighth, ninth now in, yeah. in non-super flex drafts? So if you knew Travis Kelsey was going to have the season he had last year and the rest of the tight end market had the sort of seasons they had last year, is Travis Kelsey clearly the 101? Is 101. Yeah. The 101? I think like, he's the 101. He has to be, right? Yeah. Well, that's hey, my I'm thought. Real... Bill, that, I need... These are the thought exercises I love that you do. I... Sorry, go ahead, Pete. I, no, I just want to do a little resetting because the real ones know that you are a best ball sicko. No Bo Sox here saying Barnwell <laughs> is underdog. This is an incredible that's timeline true. we are on. Because some people might think like, oh, Bill's just coming on the show. He's this macro mm-hmm. NFL analyst, and he's trying mm-hmm. to fit in and talk best ball. But the mm-hmm. real ones know that you're out here grinding these drafts. So, I mean, <laughs> talk to us a little bit about your best ball play. What is your best okay. ball style? Uh, you know, let the people in here. My, my, my style is paying the rake and donating money to the fine people watching this stream most likely. And, uh, no, I, I, I think I have a, a red badge at this point. I think I'm, I'm a badge. All right. Oh, badge. there you go. You love underdog. Um, unfortunately my, my philosophy last year when I, I did max out BBM was, uh, Trey Lance and, uh, elite tight ends who were not Travis Kelsey, which was literally like light money on fire um 
What if I know exactly how you're you're winning, yeah. Bill, because we, we, we had a lot of those teams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had uh, I I had one team that did really well in the I forgot the name of it the the two hundred fifty dollar tournament on on underdog where I won my league, got to the semis, and literally. The second Austin Eckler touchdown in week 16 that helped Pat win $2 million knocked me out of advancing Aww. to the finals of that tournament. So uh, not not ideal. Um, I remember exactly where I was when I heard about it. I, I was like in the Dallas airport. I just fumed to my gig. Miserable. Um, does it make I, you feel I say, to know that our buddy yeah. Pat won $2 million? Yeah, it does make me feel better. Um, I, he's I, off I told to Pete, Paris like, right now, so fuck yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I will say, as a sign of my lack of health, I did get married last year, one on my honeymoon, and I did do the I'm going to launch 25 slow drafts in the Philadelphia airport on the way to my honeymoon. And I'll you just did the Davis Madden. The, the, the Wi Fi at this resort is a disaster, you know, that 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 is. Um, I, I will say I'm, I'm a little little better off than Davis. I go to resorts that have good Wi Fi. <laughs> that have Wi Fi. Yeah, that have Wi Fi. Um, I don't know if those teams were any way. better. Thank you, thank you. Um, it, it was because I was on the other side of the world, so I would wake up and have like 25 drafts waiting for me, and I do them, and then I would have nothing to do for the rest of the day. It was great. It was perfect for keeping my my still massive marriage afloat. Sure. Yeah, so you, you drafted and then you could out do things while everyone else was asleep in, in America. And then when you when yes. you woke back up, then everyone had gone to sleep. You're back yes. on the clock. That's perfect. Yes. And there would be news. So I'd like have to like catch up on the NFL news. Like I wasn't tweeting for the month. I wasn't writing. I wasn't podcasting. Like I took my first month off since I started this job. So it was like I'd wake up. There wasn't like anything big that broke last May, I don't think, but like, you know, I trying to think of what even happened last May. I got pretty lucky, but yeah. I was doing like 25 drafts over the course of that month. It was wonderful. What was, is, is, I assume best ball is your, your game of choice. Are you playing a lot of season long leagues? Are you doing dynasty? Like is best ball where you get most of your, your fix in my kicks? Yeah. I, I have one, one college league that I, I was the Buffalo bills in for a long time. Um, hmm. where I would just lose in the finals. I lost like the finals like five times in six years. And then one dynasty league I did win last year. Uh, I like, I just, I was like mediocre all year. And then I just killed some guy in the postseason. I also benefited from that Mike Evans, like 40 point game in, nice. in the championship rounds so that helped me. Um, those two leagues are, I think a combined like hundred dollar buy-in. So I'm not exactly getting my, my high stakes uh, dynasty action in there. Best ball is really my, my attempt to put my money where my mouth is. And unfortunately yeah. my money has been lit on fire the past couple of years. <laughs> do you, do you um, mind like from an analyst standpoint, from your perspective, mm -hmm. like, cause I, I feel like in, in our neck of the woods, like having skin in the game, like it would be weird to like talk and not play at all. Like, do you feel that from your ESPN feels, platform? This feels a little pointed towards towards Ben not being able to play on underdog. Well, look at Coleman. I'm having a moment right now. I can drive three and a half hours to Oregon, start fifty slow drafts. Can you <laughs> my problem? Yeah, That's you can do I that. If you want. For. I just wonder if you feel like uh, an onus to have skin in the game to talk about football, or if you feel like you could not play at all and still do your job completely to the degree that you want to do it at. I mean, I, I want to be able to talk about stuff with knowledge. I want to be able to talk. If I'm going to talk about fantasy, 
which I do occasionally, not all that often. I want to talk about it intelligently. Same thing with betting. Like even before betting was legal in a lot of places, like it wasn't like I needed to be a sharp. I was never going to be either way, but I wanted to at least have a, a basic understanding of what was happening or what people were thinking or how, how lines moved or how people approach betting so I c- it could inform the stuff I was writing that would involve betting or, you know, being able to use objective measures of how people are being viewed to inform how I'm writing about something. You know, I think if I'm writing about how running backs are perceived and we have that objective evidence of, you know, Delvin Cook going in X round and Joe Mixon going in X round and we have that sort of objective measure of, okay, like one guy's going two rounds ahead of someone else in fantasy football drafts, that's meaningful. That's something I can actually take, even if it's not a fantasy football related topic, just because I always feel like my opinion is not worth very much. So having objective evidence behind anything I'm doing feels like it's really valuable. So I'm always looking for, you know, whether it's a consensus, whether it's something that is, you know, smart people are talking about, like I want to have objectivity behind it more than having skin in the game. Um, but that doesn't hurt. Like I'm not, I'm not doing it to prove anything. I don't think I'm going to be good at it. So I'm really just doing it more for something to do on the elliptical than anything else. <laughs> But there's and there's also a level of like you know the the experience that drives it. But no, I mean I, everything you were saying um, about objectivity just now. I mean like again, I, I said this a little bit earlier, but I I love your your content is so good because it's like content should be fun. It should be unique. It should be interesting, sure. but also driven in objectivity. And I mean your stuff's all thought provoking. But my favorite thing that you do, my favorite article that you have been doing the last few years is the one where you do the fifty three man roster and. But you've set all these guidelines for yourself. So it's like 53-man roster has to stay under the salary cap, but there's like a salary floor. There has sure. to be a certain number of contracts from each team, right? I think one on the, on the offense side of the ball, one on the defensive side of the ball. And so mm-hmm. w- instead of just being a, a, a list of the most valuable contracts in the NFL at any given time, you wind up telling us the most valuable contracts on every team, the most valuable mm-hmm. contracts at every position at high and low dollar amounts, and also like the right way to build a roster and where to spend your money. You know, I, I mean, I, I just love that that article because you set all these parameters for yourself, but then you you go through those parameters very diligently. And it's like, it, I mean, it's just like the trade one that you did. The, like your content is very unique in that way. There's, I mean, there's, it, the, I think NFL content in general, fantasy football content, we have a habit of just being very formulaic and mm-hmm. your stuff is always outside of, of the formula, which is just like, it's so refreshing. I just I don't know well, what you, you know, I appreciate that. You know, Pete can attest to this. This is the improv person in me, right? Like, create a, a stupid arbitrary system for myself and then, uh, you know, uh, work the best you can within that weird arbitrary set of rules you've created for yourself. So Which is it amazing. feels like... I mean, that's all we're great. doing in fantasy football. We're all a bunch of, of nerds. Like, I mean, of on. course. No question. I mean... I, I always feel spoiled to be able to do this for a living because, like, I would do the same dumb stuff anyway with my friends. I just would not be getting paid for it or right. have anyone else care about it. So it's 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 really fun for sure. Don't you think Anthony Richardson is kind of this weird confluence of how fantasy people approach the game and how the NFL is now trying to grapple with what to do with Anthony Richardson? Because I um, almost feel in tandem how fantasy players are talking about drafting him in these early contests and in Dynasty League is very similar to these NFL franchises in a way that feels almost disconnected from how they're normally talked about, where everyone's just like, man, this guy could suck. He could be a zero, (laughs) but if he hits, 
Like, I feel like we're finally in tandem with NFL franchises, how we're thinking about Anthony Richardson. Well, they, we're incentivized in the same way, strangely. I wrote about this in my Bichon Robinson column, where I wrote about sort of the disconnect between what the market pays players at the top of each position and what draft picks get paid, because draft picks are on a slotted system. They get paid exactly the same, regardless of whether you're a quarterback or a guard or a long snapper. If you're the 10th pick, you're making whatever, doesn't matter what position you are. And so what, what, what that means if you're drafting players from different positions is you don't have to be as confident about them to get you know, a, a, a plus EV outcome for drafting a quarterback. I, I forget what the exact numbers are, but it was like, if you, if you think a quarterback has a 10% chance of turning into an above average pro, it's plus EV to take him. Doesn't mean you should take him. Doesn't mean he's your best option, but you can at least justify taking him because in the long run, if you're actually right and he has a 10% chance of succeeding, you're going to get that paid off. So Anthony Richardson might not have a 50% chance of succeeding. He might have one of the lowest chances of succeeding of anybody in the first round, but the, the ceiling, as we've talked about, is so high, not just in terms of his performance, but in terms of the value he provides to an NFL team where that 80, 80th percentile outcome is a quarterback who's worth $55 million a year, making five or $6 million a year. Like that is uh, enough teams think that way, probabilistically about the draft at this point that we're approaching it the same way. The, the questions you ask about Anthony Richardson, even if you're looking at things differently, even if you're measuring it differently, you're still looking at the, okay, the, the top 10% of outcomes is still so valuable that it's worth missing more often than you would players in other positions. Yeah. I, I love that piece because it was just uh I mean it was it was a, the perfect piss boy piece. Every, everyone wants to be on the like yeah we can take running backs now and, and like it's it's much more popular right now to like defend running backs and, and I don't want to spoil the the conclusion but I just love that you very delicately and meticulously were like yeah no you probably still shouldn't do it. <laughs> but like like here here's the tough part like I believe. Bijan Robinson is an awesome prospect. He's right. so yeah. good. That's not like, like, like I know he's going to succeed and I'm going to look stupid and I'm going to get yelled at. And people are going to be like, you know, he sucked. <laughs> no, he's good. But the problem is we are bad and the market is bad. Like it has nothing to do with him as a prospect. Everything you could want from him. I put this at the beginning of the piece for a reason. Anything you could want from a running back prospect, Bijan Robinson has, but we as a collective, when it comes to drafting, when it comes to evaluating, we suck at evaluating. We are bad at identifying what the difference is between a good running back prospect and a great running back prospect and a legendary running back prospect. And I think that overconfidence is leading us to make perhaps a questionable decision about B. John Robinson if you're an NFL team drafting in the first half of the first draft. Yeah, and we've hit on a lot of the legendary prospects lately. I mean, Brees Hall sure. was incredible last year. Jonathan Taylor, Saquon, McCaffrey. You talked about this in your article, though. You went back a little bit. I mean, we thought Trent Richardson was a legendary prospect. We thought Leonard Fournette was, we again, the collective. Yeah. Darren McFadden was one you referenced, and I was like, oh, man, I hadn't thought of him in a while. But, like, though, everyone thought those guys were that good, too, and they were really as prospects. But, like, sometimes mm -hmm. we're wrong. It's just lately. It's another one of these examples where, like, the more recent thing has been, yeah, the guys that we really love from a profile perspective that had all the, you know, checked all the boxes. And like people will reference like the Clyde Edwards at Lair, but he didn't check all the boxes. People had doubts mm -hmm. about him. The ones that really checked the size, speed, all the boxes, 
most of them have hit lately, and so we're just like certain Bijan Robinson's going to hit, and it's not it's not a certainty. It, it never it never is in football, especially, mm-hmm. but it's not even a certainty at running back. Where I think we're at a point right now where people are more confident that it is a certainty at running back specifically, and then that's the justification for it's worth taking. And, and you talked about this in your article too, but it's like I mean, even if we were certain to, to go like another step, I would just say I. I still don't know if I'd want to do it because as you talk about like the opportunity cost and the ceiling is just not the same, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. the payoff. I mean, what do you, because the, the counter argument that you'll hear when I listen to people talk about this draft class is, Hey, this isn't a very strong draft class and there's not a lot of high end talent at a lot of these positions. And I just want to draft a good football player. Should I take a bad linebacker because linebacker is a position need, or should I take a good football player, which I feel confident Bijan Robinson is a hashtag good football player. Like, what do you say to that argument? Well, you remember the Jags and that when they drafted Brian anger, the punter in the second round of the draft, I believe, or third round of the draft. I was going to say he was a punter. I was like that name. Yeah, he's still a punter. Robert Aguayo, but I, I forgot that one. Yeah. <laughs> Brian Anger was drafted early by the Jags, and they asked Gene Smith, the general manager, um, they asked him, "Hey, why'd you take uh, a punter over a quarterback?" There was a quarterback who was drafted just afterwards, and he said, "Well, I'd rather have a starter than a backup." And it's true, Brian Anger was a starter, but the quarterback who was drafted just after him, either you guys remember? God, no was Russell Wilson, was the, <laughs> the backup who Gene Smith passed on in the third round. So number one, we don't always know who's going to be a good or a bad football player. We're a little too optimistic about our ability to judge that. And number two, I think, you know, there's this element of positional value and the the, the question of what do you get when you win? You know, what, what do you hit when you hit on a player? And I think that's what I brought up in terms of Bijan Robinson because right now the market says – even the best running back in football, Christian McCaffrey, in terms of contracts, his his deal was $16 million a year, I believe, his second contract. So if you get Bijan Robinson, he's exactly what we expect in the first round. Well, you've landed a $16 million a year player. That's Christian Kirk. That is a yeah, wide receiver, right. too, on the NFL level. And so, like, even if in the best case scenario, you land a, a guy who everyone would agree is a superstar running back and exactly the player you were hoping for when you drafted him. You're still not getting all that great of a, of a solution. You'd still be better off taking a quarterback who's only going to succeed one third of the time, even if you know for sure Bijan Robinson turns into a star. And I think, as been alluded to, we're not sure. We Sometimes we get that part of it wrong. And you're not getting all that great of an outcome when you hit. And then I think the other thing that um, – I'm sorry, I forget his name. You brought it up earlier. Jacob wrote in his thread that I, I put in my article was you're also foregoing the opportunity cost of landing a position that is harder to find right. in the first round. Like, like you're, the uncertainty not, works both ways. You just said right. Russell Wilson. We, we didn't think he was an elite prospect, but that uncertainty for him can mean he's better than we think he is. Pete just mentioned right. his class isn't great. We can be wrong the other way. And when you're wrong right. the other way in a premium position, as you're describing, it's a massive win. Right, and you can't yes. get that massive win from Bijan. Just like, right, get Christian right. Kirk as a win. Right, I mean, it, it's so much easier to find in Isaiah Pacheco in the sixth or seventh round, or a Elijah Mitchell, or players like that, as opposed to it happens. I'm not saying it never happens. There was Geno Smith. There was, of course, Tom Brady. But you typically don't find quarterbacks 
in the sixth or seventh round or cheap in free agency. You don't find the tackles. You don't find number one wide receivers. You don't find edge rushers. You don't find these positions the league pays premiums for because you have to draft them or trade significant draft capital to get them. And that's not the case for running back. We have years and years and years of evidence that that is the case. So, like... Again, even if you are sure, even if you could know for sure Bijan Robinson's going to be that guy at the NFL level, you're still missing out on an opportunity to hit on a position that you're not going to be able to fill elsewhere, that you're going to have a right. mediocre or below average player at in the years to come. So I, I, you can hit it from all these different levels. Like, like again, none of it is saying Bijan Robinson is bad or he's not going to succeed, but just no. is it's that really, really it's almost unfortunate because, like, we want Bijan Robinson to succeed. Right. It I, sucks I Bijan. Yeah, it sucks for Bijan. Yeah. Sucks for these running backs. We all want them to get paid what they're worth. They work their of ass course. off. Their bodies get broken down. It's 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 pretty ridiculous. But we're talking about what the team should actually do if they want to build a Super Bowl winning team. And I mean, that's it's a different discussion on the human side, obviously. Of course, and I mean, every player should be paid more. The draft the, the draft sliding system sucks. Every player should be paid more money. The draft sliding system should be, if not abolished, at least changed so players have more. You know. Get, play get more money with more incentives there's, there's a player performance system now it helps a little bit but guys should be able to get a new contract after two years if they're a first team all pro or something like that like there's players should be able to play their way out of that system quicker and that's something i would absolutely advocate for but under the current system with the current league under the current rules it doesn't really add up that Bijan robinson should be a again if you want to take him at the very end of the first round i could see it but even then i still yeah. think I think of the CEH thing where it was a like that was the luxury pick for the Chiefs. And then the next guy off the board was a player at a position they did not need wide receiver in T Higgins, who would have been a much better pick for the Chiefs even right. a year later. God. That's what blows T. my Higgins mind. I, I continue to see right? this Bijan to the Atlanta stuff. And I it's like I'd almost more buy the Eagles, the Chiefs, or the Bills taking Bijan like at the end of round one. Like at least I can kind of warp my brain in a way where that makes some sense. But mm -hmm. it's like we just watched the Falcons who have a shit ton of needs just crush in the running game with mm -hmm. very little draft capital devoted to the position. Like didn't matter. Like Arthur Smith, like designs a good run game. Like and Tyler Algier was awesome. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Taking <laughs> Bijan Robinson in the top 10. Like that would be such an egregious misappropriation of resources that I would be like, the NFL has been set back 35 years. <laughs> You're prematurely furious about yes. this speed. I love it. Oh my God. <laughs> You're ready for ESPN programming. You're extremely bad about this thing that has well, not happened and cold, will probably Bill, not happen. If you have a cold, I'll sub in for you on. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm gonna go to Paris for a couple of weeks, so I may I may need some assistance. <laughs> oh, okay. Pat, Pat, Pat's taking me to Paris. We're going to nice, Paris. Nice. Um, no, I like absolutely that should not be the case, but it sort of feels like we're eyeing that sucker, right? Like we're sort of going through the draft and being like, who doesn't care about positional value? Who's <laughs> said in the 1980s? And it kind of feels like the Falcons might be that team. Not saying they are. I don't think they'll draft him. I think Tyler Elsher did a good enough job last year that I I don't buy I don't buy the Eagles at ten. I I I don't maybe with their other first round pick, but I don't think it's likely. I I, I kind of think it's it's going to be the Cowboys. Like it just seems to wow, make too much yeah. sense to me. It's number one. It's the best thing for first take. We have to agree. It's going to be so good for ESPN content. But we have an owner who clearly thinks running back is an extremely important position to fill with a guy who's from Texas. 
Like they're a team that could theoretically sit here and say, we're set at all these other positions. We have a Super Bowl caliber team. Like he could be the difference maker for us. We need a cheap player on offense, given how much we're spending elsewhere, how much we're going to spend in the years to come. Like that it's is absolutely a move I could see the Cowboys making. It just <laughs> a- adds up too much for me. And, and I, you got me convinced it's happening for sure. If he falls enough, and I think you're right about the Falcons. I, I that would just be such a mistake. If he falls enough, I mean, the Cowboys are not going to let him pass them. Not after everything you just said. I think you're right about all of that. No, I, I so. man, the only I'm so triggered by just that very thought. But then I'm like, ninth round Tony Pollard. Yeah. What Bill? So you you just did this entire exercise of trying to think of you know galaxy brain trades for every team. Yep. Um, I guess there's multiple questions I could ask you about this. Like, what do you think is like? What team do you think is the most likely to make a crazy nuts on the table move? Like, for instance, we saw Von Miller today kind of inferring that the Bills are very interested in DeAndre Hopkins. Like, mm-hmm. what do you think is something we could realistically see next Thursday? <clears throat> What would make what would be a ridiculous move some team could make? Does I feel like Tennessee doesn't count, right? I feel like everyone's kind of already believing Tennessee is is moving. Unless up. you want to say like Trey I, Lance to Tennessee, and then I, then I'm in, Bill. <laughs> they're they're like running the ball. Rand Carthen just came from San Francisco. Maybe he likes Trey Lance. Maybe he's maybe he was furious at Cal Shanahan for not playing Trey Lance when he had the chance, and this is going to be his revenge. He's going to go out and get Trey Lance. I I don't know, like. I would have so Tennessee. many Trey Lance, Trey Lindbergh stacks. Oh my God. <laughs> mm-hmm. Tennessee kind of makes sense, you know, to me as a team that could do something really aggressive. Certainly, it looks like they're kind of like the the east, the Eastern Rams, where they're getting rid of a ton of players. They're retooling. They've kept more than the Rams have, but it sort of feels like they're in play. I'm always concerned the Saints are going to do something crazy. And 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 sort of insane for their own sake because they think they're going to be a nine-win team this year, and they probably will be a nine-win team this year. Um, I sort of wonder if you're the Eagles, like you have two first-round picks, maybe you try to go get Will Anderson at three. Maybe you try to move up for one one particular piece. Maybe you do something more, you know, more extravagant than you've done in years past, and you think, okay, like we can go and get a superstar with these two first-round picks, which we may not have the chance to do again. We're not going to have two first-round picks in the future. Um, maybe that's how they go. I, I think that would be interesting. That would be unlike them, certainly, because they see right. more quantity over quality in that mind. For sure. Um, with the Cowboys trading up for Bijan, kind of crazy because I think that's not yeah. out of the realm of possibility either. Yeah. What what what's your take on this overall? Like all these smoke screens and stuff with like the quarterback stuff because I'm hearing things all over the board. Like Will Levis could go number one. Anthony Richardson could slide outside of the top ten. That someone's going to jump the Texans for Bryce Young. Like where, where where's the uh, the signal and noise here? <laughs> there, there's no there there's no signal or noise, Pete. It, it's all it's all it's all some combination of both. Like I remember the Baker draft. I forget who reported it, and I'm not, not criticizing their report, but just saying what they said. They said something like, I just spoke to an, an AFC general manager who knows John Dorsey, who was the GM of the Browns at the time, and there's no way he would take Baker Mayfield with the first overall pick. And then like four hours later, he took Baker Mayfield with the first overall <laughs> pick. Like, like, like I, I, I don't want to say people are 
putting out smoker teams. Obviously, they are. I'm sure teams are putting stuff out there. But the general vibe I'm getting is that I think we've sort of assumed that quarterbacks were going to really dominate the top of this class. And as we get closer and closer to the draft, I think you're hearing more and more that's not going to be the case. I think instead of having 10 teams who think Anthony Richardson might be worth a top five pick, there might only be one or two. But you only need one or two to make that trade work. If There might be a, one team that loves, loves Will Levis instead of eight or nine teams. But that's where we're at, right? Like, like I think we only need one team to make it work, to have something crazy happen. And so I think quarterbacks are still going to be really valued, but I don't think there's that clamor that maybe we had a month or two ago, which maybe speaks to, as Ben said, like the idea that teams are not as pessimistic perhaps about this draft and the players who aren't quarterbacks as it might have seemed a month ago. Yeah, and it, it does, again, like almost similar to the Anthony Richardson stuff. There seems to be such a disconnect between how people think about a guy like Will Levis and how mm-hmm. you know an NFL franchise might draft him, where it's like everyone's like, this guy sucks. Why would you take him? And then he might be a top 10 pick, might be a top five pick. It's like, wait, what's going on here? Everyone agrees he sucks. But does it go back to the thing you were saying where it's like if he has a 10% chance mm-hmm. of being a franchise quarterback, I guess that's the real question. Like what percentage, what is the probability threshold that a guy has to have of being like a 10-year starter to justify a top five pick? Yeah. I mean, I I did it for the Cowboys. I did it for the 20s. I could do it for like the fifth overall pick, but – it's it's not it's a little higher for five because you're paying them more like you're paying them, I think eight or nine million dollars a year at this point. But it's not like you know even if it's eight or nine let's say let's say ten million dollars a year, and a an upper echelon quarterback is now what Derek Carr is making thirty five forty let's say it's forty million dollars a year. Like there's more complicated math, but if you think he gets a twenty five percent chance of succeeding, you're breaking even taking a quarterback with the fifth overall pick. Now again. You're not. You're missing out on other players. You're missing out on other positions. But if you think you want to grab a quarterback and you think that's the most important thing for your team, you are turning a profit if you're succeeding 26% of the time drafting those guys at those rates in the first round. So it is like, fascinating though because I, I completely I love that math and I completely understand it. And yet right. there is the reality. It's a sample size of one, right? And so of course, if you, if no you make that as a gm like it has to be the 25 percent that's correct right like i mean it's i mean you remember you remember ryan pace and that staff like celebrating and high-fiving when they traded up for mitch trubisky in the worst process you can imagine like the the like the example of when i talk to people who don't care about football and they're like what what is any like why do you do what you do i talk about you know, this, these guys in suits who are making millions, not everyone's making millions of dollars, Ryan Pace is making good money. Like that entire front office putting in months of scouting and years of studying and, and, and decades and decades of experience across all of them to take Mitchell Trubisky over Patrick Mahomes, taking a guy who is probably not going to be in the league next year over the greatest player who's ever lived. And all the stuff that goes into that and all the stuff that happens after the draft and why they're wrong, but also maybe not as wrong. Maybe Patrick Mahomes ended up in the exact perfect place he could have ended up with great playmakers and a great coach and how things could have gone wrong. Like all of that seems so crazy to me to have to break down and understand. And I think we're so confident seeing the outcomes not 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 you guys but like the the people who view the league as a whole are so confident about the outcomes like the rams are 
the perfect example, right? Like, like imagine a world where, and this is unfair because that wasn't the end of the game, but imagine a world where Jaquiski Tart catches that Matthew Stafford arm punt in the hmm. NFC Championship game. The Rams lose. It's, oh, Sean McVay, you know, got to the championship game again and they lost and, you know, they're never going to win the big one. And then this year, the wheels come off. Everything else that happened last year happens. You know, everything that actually happened in 2022 happens, but the Rams didn't win a Super Bowl right beforehand. It's, oh my God, they signed Allen Robinson. They don't know what they're doing. People might have gotten fired, let alone, you know, had the ability to come back under their own ages. Like, like that that outcome of them having things break ever so slightly for them to win the Super Bowl was changes our entire perception of how they were viewed. And that's probably unfair. Like the Rams were not idiots if they hadn't won the Super Bowl and they're not geniuses because they did. The, the truth is somewhere in between, but I, I don't think we're very good as a, as a society who watches football talking about that probabilistically. Of understanding the probabilities, of understanding that is a, it's a dice roll at the end of the day. Sure. And the outcome at the end is not the only outcome that could have happened. I mean, we're sitting here talking about this draft and how crazy we don't know what smoke screens. As soon as the draft happens, there's going to be a lot of certainty that it was always going to be this way and we should have known. And what what were the symbol, the, the little signs that we should have read? And, oh, God, I, I knew that was a smoke screen and I knew that was the, the real thing. It's hard to know in advance. Prediction is harder than, you know, the descriptive conversation, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I got I got to ask you about Lamar. Historical anomalies. Asking this in the chat. Okay. You have him in one of your Galaxy Brain trades to the mm-hmm. Texans here. Um, almost similar to the Rodgers situation, where like, what what's going to happen here? How is this going to play out? Where I mean, I know this thought exercise. I love this trade. About- this yeah <laughs> I, I did not love this trade I will you were like this is the most one, difficult one to put together it's tough and then by the end i i was like this is he's out of his mind and by the end of reading it i was like oh this could happen <laughs> like he <laughs> yeah. did a really good job he did a really tell good me job about this trade okay so this was in the scenario where the texans do not love any of the quarterbacks who are on the board. I'm just reading what I wrote in the article. So this is for the audio listener. As a regular Peter Oversight podcast listener, this is my opportunity to uh, deliver to the audio listeners who are not appropriately catered please to. Please service them, Typically. Bill. Please, <laughs> yeah. please. I, I, will, I will just read this article verbatim. No, um, like, you know, if they want to get a quarterback, they're probably not going to trade down for Mac Jones. I don't think that's going to work. But if you're the Texans and you want to cut, you know, draw a line underneath – your, your miserable last couple of years where you're running off your fans, your owners may have been racist, your 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 players may have been run out of town, you <laughs> you got rid of Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Watson was a mess anyway, um, you got through three coaches, like, what, what better to be, okay, we just got a former MVP in the prime of his career, and they don't want to give up two first-round picks to make that happen, one of them is the second overall pick, but if you're the Ravens, you don't want to run the risk of Lamar signing his franchise tag. That's the reason they went out and gave him that, uh, the franchise tag they gave him. They didn't give him the exclusive franchise tag because they don't want to be stuck in a Kirk Cousins scenario where they run the risk of losing him for nothing. Or even a Dak Prescott scenario where they basically have to give him a blank check to get a deal done because they're going to run the risk of losing him for absolutely nothing. They want to get that deal done this offseason because they know John Hurts just signed an extension. Joe Burrow is going to sign an extension. Justin Herbert's going to sign an extension. That's only going to raise the price for Lamar Jackson, and they're going to lose leverage getting further and further towards his free agency. So if you're the Ravens and you say, you know what? We have decided we're done. We don't want to deal with this. We want to move on. What better scenario than making a trade 
for the second overall pick where you can draft a CJ Stroud. You can draft an Anthony Richardson. You can draft a guy to take over in the long term for Lamar Jackson. Now, in this trade, I think I have them giving up the 20th pick. It doesn't sound that great. It's like they get a three and a four and the second overall pick for the 20th pick. And some person was that I mentioned saying, why would they basically trade Lamar Jackson for a three and a four? That's not how it works. Trading 20 for the second overall pick is a big, big difference. But like, if you can get that immediate replacement for Lamar Jackson, if you're the Ravens, where you're not worried about getting a guy a year from now or three years from now, if there's a guy you like, if there's not a guy you like, don't do it. But if you like one of those guys available at two, I think you at least have to consider it. So never going to happen. Crazy trade. It took me like literally three days to find a trade that made sense for the <laughs> Texans. And I, ha- I, I have like, I have like the Lamar, like, you know, pull in case of emergency lever for this column. And I had to go to it on pick two, which probably tells you how good the rest of the column went. But it just felt like that was a scenario that could make sense for both sides. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you're the Ravens. If you're going to trade Lamar to be able to get a, the reason you would do it is you get a cost-controlled rookie contract QB. Mm-hmm. You're getting up to two, like you said. It's not any generic first-round pick in a class where the, a lot of people think there are two very clear top quarterbacks here. You're getting a, a, a future franchise quarterback on a rookie deal to continue to try to compete around. And then if you're the Texans, I love that you point this out. If they get that 22 pick back, they still have the number 12 in this draft, they still would have two first round picks. So they get Lamar and have two first round picks to get, you know, some wide receiver help or, or to build around him a little bit more. I mean, I could see both teams wanting to make this move, you know? Right. I don't, I, I couldn't see them both doing it, but I could see them at least considering it. And that right. is the important thing. If it's plausible, that means we've gone in the right direction. But what do, what do you guys think? Like if you had to set odds that Lamar Jackson was going to be on the Ravens in 2023. What does it feel like to you? I'm like 50-50. Okay. Like, really? Yeah. I'm like 80% Ravens. And I, I think I was like 90 after no one made offers right away when he got the tag. It's falling. Maybe I'm 70. I don't know. It's starting to fall because like the more this carries on, the more that feels like there's some bad blood, like maybe something like this could happen and shock us. But I feel like it, he's going back to the Ravens pretty overwhelmingly, I think. It it does kind of feel like there's a little bit of bad blood, and I'm not going to lie. Like, yeah. that, that's not me. That's not inside info. That's just me, you know, talking to people in the league who are not directly involved with the situation. Um, it, it, it certainly feels like there's at least some elements of that organization who don't really feel like Lamar was desperate to come back onto the field last right. year. And... That is one of those things where if you believe that about a player, that could dramatically change the way you feel about him and whether he's the player you want in your locker room. And again, I love Lamar. I think he should get paid. He's fantastic. Even though he tweeted at me when I suggested that the Ravens were going to trade Marquise Brown last year, he tweeted, hell no at me. And then they traded him literally on the way to my wedding. I was on the plane. I paid for Wi-Fi, and my phone started. To so then you can dunk like, on Lamar. Wow, Lamar on was dunk- plane is a disaster. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> Lamar was dunking on me for saying the Ravens were going to trade Marquise Brown. And then it but came out the- later. He had requested a trade beforehand. Come on, Lamar. Uh, I mean, do you? I, I guess the thing for me of why I might be closer to something happening is like, do you think the Ravens are worried about him holding out? Like if no trade stuff comes around, like 
do you think the Ravens are extra motivated? Or is it just because what he's asking for is so ridiculous that no one will actually be willing to give him the contract he wants? I guess that's the part I'm having a hard time untangling. I, I don't think it's the contract. I think it's the contract with the picks is something that worries teams. Like, cause again, those picks I've written about this before, when you trade multiple first round picks or significant draft capital for a player, you're also paying the cost of not having those draft picks and those draft picks are valuable on their own. Right. Like, you know, if you have, well, what was the Nick Chubb Brock Osweiler trade? Like the, the Browns basically paid $17 million or something in that ballpark for what amounted to a high second round pick. So yeah. you figure first-time picks are worth even more. First-time picks maybe are worth $20 million or $25, $30 million. Like you're not just paying Lamar $50 million a year, which I think he deserves, but then you're paying him an extra, you know, eight, nine million dollars a year because of the the value of those picks that you're trading away to get him in, at the same time. I think if this were a unrestricted free agent, or if Lamar had not had the injury issues from the past couple of years, this would not be a discussion, but it is. And so I think I, I don't believe. It's that. I think it's the concerns about what happened last year in terms of Lamar not coming back. I think it's the, you know, I, I think with, with the Ravens, it's the the holdout is something they fear, but I think they also fear the possibility of Lamar coming back on a one-year deal. I think the Lamar signing the franchise tag would not make the Ravens happy. Like, better than a holdout, but not better than him signing an extension because, again, they if they're going to lose him, they want to lose him on their terms, not in terms of getting a third round comp pick in 2026 or whatever. Yeah. Uh, a couple other interesting ones that you had in your column. I feel like we got to talk about nuke. I, I mean, I mentioned that thing about Von Miller. There was a clip of him mm -hmm. on the McAfee show today. You have him to the giants, which I actually thought all along made a ton of sense. The question was, does Deandre Hopkins want to go play? In, in New York, but but talk to me about DeAndre Hopkins because that's another one that we've all just assumed that's going to happen, that he wasn't going to stay on the Cardinals this year, and yet, you know, here we are, and he's still an Arizona Cardinal. Yeah, I, I don't think people are that desperate to pay DeAndre Hopkins a ton of money on a new deal. He's already getting paid a bunch on his old deal. He's a player who just got suspended for a few games last year, had injuries the year before. Um, wide receivers in their 30s can be hit or miss. I think he, is he 30 now? Is he 30 or 31 now? You, I'm not mistaken. Uh, you don't want to tweet this out though, because did you see his tweet the other day? He, you're going to get dunked on by DeAndre Hopkins too. He, <laughs> he actually, the other day, he doesn't want to raise source himself. Do you remember that tweet yeah. the other day? He, he, he had me blocked mysteriously on Twitter a couple of years oh, ago. And no. I did not know why, because I felt like I really liked him and defended him. Uh, he's unblocked me since though. So whatever I wrote in the meantime, Got me on his good side. You're a great player, DeAndre. Do not, you don't need to do that to me again. We're, we're we can work together. He's not I, no, he's a big ship chasing really. fan. Yeah. I, 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 not only, not only a ship chasing guy, but a ship chasing guy an hour and 20 minutes in. He's right. Yeah, that's through, totally what you're The entirety yeah, yeah. of the thing. I mean, you know, I, I think there is a concern about players at this point of their careers. I think, you know, he is a big physical player. He's obviously super talented. Uh, the numbers were, good last year i think I, I don't know what his yards per run were last year but i think he was good when he was on the field last year with inconsistent or bad quarterback play for stretches um in an offense that was not exactly the most impressive so i, I think if you're the giants like this is your stefan Diggs move right like he's older mm -hmm. so i think there's not the same sort of upside um and you're not getting him into an offense where i have a ton of faith in the quarterback but this is a hey we just invested in daniel jones like 
we have to get him a number one receiver to make this offense work. And I think going out and getting Darren Waller made sense for the price tag, given the fact that they can move on from next year without any real repercussions. I, I think going out and getting Hopkins, if you can afford it, makes sense. But then there's that question of if you're paying Waller, if you're paying Daniel Jones, if you're going to pay Saquon, can you afford DeAndre Hopkins as well, even if he's not getting a raise? Yeah. Do you, do you think any of their other moves in free agency, like getting Darren Waller, that that takes them out of the market, or you think they still might be be loading up here? I mean, do you – like, who, who – their number one receiver right now is Darius Slayton? Wow. Who, who, and and, who, he, and who, he's free. He's I, I mean, I'm a Wandell Robinson guy. If you look just based on how they're getting drafted, it's Wandell sure. Robinson, Isaiah Hodgins – than Darius Slayton. But Wendell Robinson's hurt. He might not play for the first half of this year or for a chunk of this season, which would be pretty disconcerting as a yeah. someone who has Wendell Robinson in Dynasty as well. But also mm. just that, like, you know, like expectations are different here, right? Like this isn't last year when it was we're moving on from Daniel Jones. If we get anything great, but this is kind of a transition year. Now, like, they want a playoff game. People actually believe in Daniel Jones now. Yeah. I get yelled at when I tweet things that aren't super optimistic about Daniel Jones. So, <laughs> like, you have to, like, if you're going to push your chips in for Daniel Jones, you have to act like it. You have to get him the receivers that are going to help because I think if you don't get either someone in the draft, which they could do very comfortably, draft a wide receiver in the first round, or make a trade for a DeAndre Hopkins we're going to be sitting here with the same questions about Daniel Jones next year. And, and I think, you know, I worried about this a little bit last year with Debo Samuel, obviously a totally different kind of player. But with Daniel Jones, of course he can get better and be a different sort of player than he was a year ago. But when you look at how he played last year, where he was throwing a lot of short passes, when he was not turning the ball over, when he was running super efficiently, like if that's what he's going to be, how much better can he be at that version of himself next year than he was a year ago? Kind of right. felt like he got the best possible version of himself with that style of play last year. This is the probabilistic thing you were just talking about where the fans that are yelling at you are only focused on the outcome that we got last season. And they're not paying attention to the rest of the evidence of like everything else he's done in his career and everything sure. else that that last season we just saw, how does that translate to something better? I mean, you guys, you, you lined up with the Vikings, who everyone knew was the most, like, basically overseeded three seed of all time. You go sure. in there, you win one playoff game, and and now Daniel Jones is a superstar. Like, I, I think the, the Giants are not going to like that contract. I think they should have franchise tagged him and probably let mm -hmm. Saquon walk for all the reasons we talked about with running backs. Instead, they paid him so they could tag Barkley, and now they can't get Barkley to sign the tag. Good luck. <laughs> right. And and again, I think if you're going to make that bet, which a year ago they were not willing to make that bet, well, get him guys who are going to make a difference. And having DeAndre Hopkins there does make a difference for that offense. So yeah. at, at the right price tag, if you're only trading a mid-round pick for him, or you're trading – I think they're trading down in the first round. I think it values him at like a, a late two or an early three – that kind of feels right for a player with DeAndre Hopkins' recent level of play. All right. We are, of course, piss boys around here. We love ourselves some wide receivers. I feel like kind of opinions are all over the map on this wide okay. receiver class, even all over the map on how many wide receivers are going to go in round one. You know, as of a month ago, Quentin Johnston was going to be like the number one, and now he might fall out of the first round. I feel like it's mm -hmm. constantly getting, dare I say, flipped on its head. 
where how are you handicapping round one of this draft for wide receivers? How how many do you think are going to go in round one? Mm, as someone who knows absolutely nothing about this, I am going to just base it on reading Dane Brugler's guide, on yeah. reading mock drafts, and listening to other people talk about it. I, it, I think th- something that matters here that I brought up earlier is the the way the wide receiver market has shifted. Like the move of mid-tier receivers like Christian Kirk into the $16, $17 million range and the move of top-tier guys like Tyreek Hill or Devontae Adams to $25 million a year with the Justin Jefferson deal coming to make that probably $27 million a year, I think, in the years to come. Like that makes wide receivers more valuable because again, you're paying a fraction of that cost if you're drafting in the first round. So I think that tips a lot of debates about positions towards wide receiver because if you're drafting, if you're picking between a wide receiver or a cornerback, it makes sense to pick the wide receiver, wide receiver or safety, wide receiver or linebacker, even wide receiver or defensive tackle, you're leaning more towards wide receivers being the more valuable position. And so it's I tough think too because if say, those prices started kicking off, but at those prices, yeah. you got to have multiple good receivers. It's not the same as yeah. one $30 million quarterback or $40 million quarterback. You got to have so when you're saying you lean towards receivers, it's like, yeah, because I need three of them. I need to hit yes. three different rookie contract receivers that are good, right? Like, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and I think this is a situation where because wide receivers are becoming so valuable, you're seeing teams who even have franchise caliber quarterbacks on significant deals having questions about whether they can afford two star wide receivers. There was that like window this year where there was the question of, okay, are the Bengals going to keep T Higgins because can they afford $90 million a year for Joe Burrow, T Higgins and Jamar chase, because that's the minimum of what it's going to cost to bring those guys back for years to come. Um, I think you're seeing teams have to get aggressive about targeting first round wide receivers, because that's your best chance at adding adding a superstar wide receiver for an expensive quarterback, because it's tougher to afford both and a good offensive line and a good defensive line now. And sometimes that leads you to, Jalen Rager being drafted in the first round for better or worse. So I, I would say I, I, I will go. I, I I will go four. I will say four wide receivers go in the first round. Is that a lot? Is that is that no, what right. is the lineup? I, I would assume right. it's like three and a half. Is okay. it was so I feel like yeah, you're either at the three or the four because I think most people assume JSN for sure. Yep. Um I think Jordan Addison for sure. Yeah. And then it seems so. like a guy like Zay Flowers has almost flipped Quentin oh. Johnston in like oh, sentiment that's... right now. How 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 fearful are you as the leaders of the Sky Moore hype train about the Zay Flowers to the Chiefs rumors? No, I mean I mean Sky Moore is so good that he's basically uh, you know independent of any other wide receivers. <laughs> that would be. Uh, no, I'm, not I'm super I'm, high on Zay Flowers, so that might actually be uh, a boost to Sky Moore's comeback. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's so weird, too, because it seems like there's so many candidates you'll hear floated of like, oh, this guy could sneak into round one. It's like Cedric Tillman, mm-hmm. Jalen Hyatt, like these guys that could sneak in. But then it's like, are they? Uh, you know, will they ultimately pull the trigger? But I do tend to side with what you're saying of like, how valuable these guys are. We saw all of these mega superstar wide receivers reset the free agency market. These All these rookie wide receivers hit year after year. And the question, though, I think is, are people chasing the ghost of a better draft class? You know, are mm-hmm. they going to make a mistake because of how valuable this position is, and yet this class might not have the talent to justify it? 
I mean, possibly, but yeah, like we said, like, do we know that the players at other positions are are more likely to be studs? Yeah. I, I think, I, I think, as much as they might not want to say it, teams like making sexy picks. Like, 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 unless you're the Patriots, unless you're a team that really focuses on line play, like, teams are always going to lean towards the more fun pick being the guy who, like, who slips into the bottom of the first round. Like, you'll never hear, oh, you know, lots of talk about how six guards are going to move into the bottom of the first round because that's not fun. Like, teams <laughs> want teams want an excuse to draft fun players who yeah. are going to make their fans happy. And so I think, again, in those debates of, of X versus Y, more teams are going to lean towards a wide receiver than I think they might want to admit publicly. What you're saying, Bill, is that the teams – they're just like us. They they're put their pants on one leg at a time and just want to draft some fun ass wide receivers. <laughs> <laughs> unless, unless you are uh, the Packers. Yeah. Exactly. You, that, actually, no, it's not fair. They drafted fun wide receivers. They just yeah. waited until after the first round to do it. So, uh, Bill, I, I don't want to. Uh, Gretchen, I would keep you all night if you uh, didn't keep us in check here. But I, I do. Let's let's toss a bone to the best ball sickos. Uh, sure. Who are some of your favorite players to uh, to draft in these early? You said you did a few big board drafts. Oh, who God. do you think is undervalued right now uh, in some of these drafts? <clears throat> Trey Lance. Yeah. Damn it. Yes. Cal, I, I do think Cal Pitts is undervalued. I, I do think I, – I do – I do believe I, – I, I do believe that, like, there's just such a reaction to what happened last year. Like, Trey Lance like, – like, there's a chance Trey Lance does not play this year. That is not out of the realm of possibility. That is not the case with Cal Pitts. We know better than that. I just, um, I can't, Bill. The chat loves you. I, I feel the like you're one of us. One of us. I feel like you're just trolling me that you don't actually believe these things. <laughs> I do. I, I, I'm trying to think of other, other players. My brain is so addled with other stuff right now. Um, who was I drafting a lot of? Like, who's the area in the chat is wondering if you're a LaVisca fan. Yeah, yeah, you, you gotta, you gotta distance yourself from me somehow, Bill. This is a bad look for you. I, I, I did tweet out when the the Panthers traded for, uh, when they traded for the first overall pick. I'm like, great, their number one wide receiver is Lavisca Chenault, and of course, Pete was like, oh, that sounds great. That's a great idea. Um, <laughs> yeah, reply to that one. Yes. Uh, who do I think is undervalued? I think somebody like. And this is such a shitty name to say. Michael Gallup is undervalued. Okay. Like a, a player coming off of an ACL in an offense where even if they throw less than they throw the past couple of years, they throw a lot where Dalton Schultz disappeared, um, where they haven't even replaced Dalton Schultz. And I think they'll draft somebody, but where there's more targets to go around, a guy who, you know, was valuable before the ACL tear, now a year removed from the ACL tear. I, I just think a player who's being written off is like, an anonymous guy who the Cowboys paid a lot of money to bring back, I think is an undervalued player. Um, who else do I think is undervalued? I, I do think Rashad Penny is probably overvalued, even though, again, I think the example of like league winning upside, certainly, certainly plausible. Um, I just, given what they paid for, for him and free agency, given that they guaranteed him $600,000. I think there's more of a chance he doesn't make the team. But again, I think 
if you're drafting for the upside, which you should be, you can justify taking him probably where you're taking him. I just, I think people are assuming he's going to be the lead back for the Eagles when that is not the most likely outcome for me. Um, I agree on the penny stuff. Like I'll be more willing to pull the trigger on him there. Like in mm -hmm. August, you know, like there's a bomb that could go off in that backfield after the draft. And it's just like, maybe just have a little patience, not to mention there was a lot of people in the big board draft who got him in the 17th, 16th Mm -hmm. round before too. So at least in these early drafts, he seemed like an easy fade post Eagle signing. Where is Jamison Williams going? He is like a routine mid fifth round pick. Okay, that's probably fair. I, I just like super excited about him. So, uh, I think something I, I value maybe wrongly is I really try to pay attention to how teams imply their value about players by what they pay them in terms of guaranteed money or what they trade to get them. And the Lions, even though that didn't look like a lot by the, the traditional chart, like they traded a lot to get Jamison Williams. And I think there's that that is a player who has like significant, you know, like like top 15 pick next year upside if everything breaks right for him um i i know that you know gretchen you guys on your podcast do like what 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 is the what is the first two rounds going to look like next year one of my favorite podcasts you guys do every year and that is a i think a really fun exercise because like we're we're not good at that like like we're not good at thinking about okay how does this scenario play out where we do have these guys going in the top two rounds next year? And I think Williams has that sort of upside where you have that year two breakout. You saw a little bit of him last year. We know what he was in college. Like we know how the lions valued him. They moved some guys out to create opportunities for him. Like, you know, who knows? It could not work out, but I think he has that kind of upside, which is really exciting. All right, Bill, I, <laughs> I just want you to know, um, when I draft a shit ton of Trey Lance and Kyle Pitts this year, and then they both bomb, and mm-hmm. everyone who watches my stream, mm-hmm. you know, mercilessly, you know, trolls me forever, mm-hmm. I'm going to hide behind a Bill Barnwell shield. <laughs> Bill told me it was okay. All right. Bill, you I... handle the trolls on Twitter better than maybe anyone I know. Because I don't know. They are. I, I just, they're ruthless at, on you, man. I don't like you have a big enough account and a big enough profile, but like, I, God, there are you get the dumbest fans in your mentions. I just gotta say, <laughs> like, you get the dumbest fans. Ah, uh, you, you get really tribal at some point on Twitter. Yeah. Like, I don't. The thing I love, honestly, is when somebody signs somewhere and people get really mad immediately. Like, like I remember when. Nelson Aguilar signed with the Patriots. And I hated the deal. Like Patriots fans who five minutes ago could not have cared less about Nelson Aguilar were like, no, he's great. I'm like, you, how do you know he's great? Like you never, you never watched Nelson Aguilar play close. Like you're not <laughs> yeah. grinding Nelson Aguilar tape in the 10 minutes since he signed with the Patriots. Like just the, the, the fact that people get so tribal about a, a guy's uniform is so funny to me. Like it just is, you know, I, I just, I, I, I I have my opinions. I get stuff wrong. Everyone gets stuff wrong. I get stuff really badly wrong plenty of times. But the stuff where like people get mad about like me saying a contract is bad or like a team's cap situation, like Saints fans yeah. getting mad that I'm like critical of how they manage their salary cap. I just like you're you're mad about numbers on a, a, a balance sheet. It'd be like getting mad yeah. at Goldman Sachs for how how they how they ha- handle subprime mortgages. Like like. That's even a bad example. Like how Goldman Sachs handles, like you know, 
like index funds. Like it, why are you mad? Like it's just numbers. Who cares? It has right. to be trippy though, right? Because you you've won in that you have people engaging in your work in a very passionate way, which is what you actually want. But yet it still stings when people are being idiots. You know, Pete, yeah. when you're when you're farming for engagement like me, <laughs> you, you, you can't you can you plant some stuff, you can't be mad about about what, what crops come out, right? That's right. Yeah, and, that's right. I mean, but you're like you're the nicest dude, and your your work is very like earnest. It's good. It's it's already supported, and people get mad. It's like the, the answers in the article. Like I want to yell at them for you. Like read the tweet you're replying to. I sometimes sometimes I do that, but there's no point. Like people people are not reading for that purpose. They, if, if you're ready to get mad, I'm hope I'm hoping that I satisfy you by giving you something to get mad about. Well, uh, Bill, what what content do you have coming out here between now and the NFL draft that people can get mad about? What what should they be on the lookout for? I think I'm mostly done. I don't know if I have anything next week. I, I will say. You go to can Paris I, can here I, or what? Can I can I throw something earnest out there for people? Yeah. Um, my friend, like uh, fellow writer of mine, Doug Kite, who does awesome yeah. work in the NFL, has yep. for Nesson and PFF and A to Z Sports. Um, his two-year-old daughter has leukemia, which is preposterous and terrible and awful. And I don't think I need to explain how a two-year-old having cancer is incredibly sad, but. Um, his family is taking donations. There's a GoFundMe. I have it pinned on my Twitter. It's on Doug's Twitter. Um, if you can donate, Doug is a really good friend. He's a great dad. He's a really good writer. Um, nobody should have to go through this. So if you want to donate, I mean, I would really appreciate it. Um, I don't know what I can offer you in return. If you want me to unblock, uh, someone who's been blocked, I can do that. Like the Matthew Berry thing, but, um, just, you know, uh, a really good cause to donate money to you if you are able to, but if not, certainly if you can keep Doug and his family in your thoughts, that'd be really cool. This, this is who, the person that the trolls are coming after. You ask him to put <laughs> this is what he This is what he took that time to talk about. And the trolls want to be bad about it. Also, I have an OnlyFans. You can subscribe to that as well. <laughs> yeah. Right, so. yeah, exactly. I knew you. That's what Bill had actually been in my DMs for a while. He's like, I'm looking to kind of um, have places to promote my OnlyFans. ESPN's kind of been making me keep that on the hush well, hush. And I come on ship chasing to promote it. And I was like, sure. Well, Pete, Pete I, I know how lucrative you, uh, you take your shirt off was last year so <laughs> i'm just trying to get some of that money at the end of the day i've been doing a lot of pull-ups these days just ready for the summer super chats bill uh that has been the case um no but seriously bill i appreciate you i i i'm not i'm not kidding when i say i've been hounding bill i've been ex very excited to do this show and uh you know uh, he was always very uh reasonably busy with stuff and so for you to make time tonight to uh to chop it up is is very much appreciated Wonderful. I, I, I honestly would love to do a draft with you guys at some point, whether it's this year or next year, um, just so I can get really mad at one of the picks we make. I, yeah. I think the, 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 like, like the, the draft brain that emanates from this as the year goes on leading to Leone getting uh, excoriated for drafting Josh Jacobs, <laughs> one of my favorite moments of the entire year on podcasts. So uh, if I could be a part of that, I would love to. 
yeah we will we would love to have that and uh we appreciate you coming on everyone check out bill barnwell and we went over his article tonight i'll post it in the show notes as well a very fun read going through all those hypothetical trades and as far as ship chasing so next week we will be off on wednesday but we will be back for a thursday night mega draft live stream it's a stream that has led to lots of iconic moments Way too much drinking. Pat putting his feet up on the desk. Darius Tony. Darius Tony. John Daigle blacking out and uh, not even remembering being on stream. So who knows what will happen next Thursday? We won't be here at nine fifteen, but we will be here at eight p.m. Eastern. Appreciate all you guys hanging out in the chat. Check out Stealing Signals. Check out Bill Barnwell. I'm going to write about mulch in the PO box <laughs> this week on Friday. We love you all. Have a great week. We'll see you guys next Thursday. Peace.